Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tsai. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm better than I thought I would be considering Fulham lost at Brentford last night. So I'm not as angry as I have been in previous seasons. Maybe this is growing up. And of course, our chat's so guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay, mate. Um, I don't know if that is growing up, mate. I, I probably would have been angry if I'd been at that game. Um, luckily, I wasn't at the game. I didn't manage to get a ticket because it's a small way end. Um, I don't have enough loyalty points. But um yeah, I was very disappointed in the lads last night, unfortunately. But look, it's been an amazing season for Fulham. You have to class. That's probably why you're not too too upset. You know, we've had a great season. We've lost 3-2 to Brentford. We beat Brentford 3-2 earlier in the season. They are our big rivals for anyone wondering why me and Jack would care so much about Brentford. But they are in very close proximity. I consider them to be... Uh, the rival I probably like the least. Them and QPR really like the least because... We, Typically, we've been in the same leagues a lot more, uh, but they've, they've, they've beat us and, it, and they deserve to, so yeah. pff, can't can't complain. We move on. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those, suck it up and, and onwards we go. We today are going to be talking about players who define their leagues, which I'm really excited about. I'm not quite sure how it's going to go, Sam, but I'm, I'm excited about trying to get into the, the nuts and bolts of this one. So that's very exciting. But before we do that, should we start with some things we love? Get the positivity vibes going again on the podcast. DJ, why don't you start us off? Lads, the thing I love is that um, predicting football, making any sense of football is all out the window these days. It's absolutely nonsensical what we're seeing this season generally across the board. Um, And of course, I'm talking about this right now because Liverpool have just beaten Man United 7-0. XG will tell us that this game should probably have ended about 3-1. But actually, no. 7-0. 7-0. Um, now, the reason that this makes even less sense, and I'm going to go into, on a bit of a rant here, but hopefully it does make, make sense at the end when it all comes together. So do bear with me here. So Liverpool beat Man United 7-0, but they also lost a couple of weeks ago 5-2 at home to Real Madrid. Real Madrid are nine points behind Barcelona in La Liga. Now, United just beat Barcelona over two games in the Europa League, and they deserve to. Uh, Liverpool are currently seven points behind Man United in the Premier League. And now Barcelona have just beaten Real Madrid in a Copa <laughs> del Rey first leg semi-final, 1-0. Now, they've got to play them again. Uh, they got them again in the league, actually, next week. And they play them again in the second leg of that cup competition. Now, I'm trying to basically figure out, lads, these are the four biggest teams in Europe, basically. In terms of like traditional classic rivalries, it's Man United-Liverpool and it's Real Madrid-Barcelona. So I think it's fair that you can stick all four into the pot and say these, on an overall basis, are the four biggest clubs in Europe, right? Just, just take it for that, for this argument's sake. How would we rank these four teams between now and the end of the season? Where we sit right now and where we're going to be at the end of the season? Because... Look, right, Real Madrid will probably win the Champions League, right? There's a, there's a good chance they do that. Let, let's say there's a good chance because they generally do, right? You've got to say Real Madrid probably win the Champions I'd League. I'd say they're, they're in with a good shout. Let's, yeah. let's okay, leave it that. Probably will. There's no one right. strong enough to get the probably tag, but okay. Real Madrid can win the Champions League, but they probably won't win La Liga. Mm-hmm. They might win a Copa del Rey. Barcelona, though could also win Copa del Rey. They might win the league. Well, I'd say now, there, there's your probably. You flipped them. You've got them the wrong way around. Marcel yeah, at this fair. point will probably win the league. So how do you compare those two first and foremost? Like Barcelona and Real Madrid and what they can do this season and how far apart they are. So bear that in mind, first of all. Now let's switch that back to what we're seeing 
in English football. If Man United only win the Carabao Cup this season, what if Liverpool end up catching them in the league and finish third? They're only seven points behind them. They're actually closer to Man United than Real Madrid are to Barcelona in the title race. (laughs) So Liverpool could actually catch Man United to finish third. Is that better than winning the Carabao Cup? Because... Look, again, traditionally, for a club like Man United or Liverpool, winning the Carabao Cup is pretty insignificant. It doesn't seem it right now because of where Man United have been. But in the past, they don't care about that trophy. They care about the FA Cup, the Champions League and the Premier League. Of course, though, we also got to consider Man United could win three trophies. They might yet win the FA Cup and they might win the Europa League. Okay, you can see where I'm heading with this, right? Look, no, I'm so confused. <laughs> I, I, I know what you're getting at. I know exactly what you're getting at. My head's spinning. Yeah. It's spinning. Look, it's a freak result, right? 7-0 is a freak result. But I think it is. It perfectly encapsulates where we are at the season with the failure for anyone to be in complete dominance in terms of the teams we would typically expect to be. Because I don't know what we're getting with any of these four teams right now even though at times all four of them are showing signs of brilliance. For example, like, I don't know if uh, Liverpool bounce back from, not bounce back, but continue the momentum from the 7-0. Do they now go and smash Bournemouth at the weekend but lose to Real Madrid? Or do they actually lose to Bournemouth but somehow beat Real Madrid? I don't know, lads. Like, none of us know why. None of us know why this happens. But this is why I love it. This is why I love football. And... I think it's one of the things that gives us all hope as football fans. Me and Jack talking there at the top of the show about like Fulham and Brentford and like, okay, let's just take it for what it was. We lost, we deserve to lose. But you go to those games in hope of big moments and you'll go to the next one in hope that we get revenge over Brentford. But things you always hope get better, but you always fear they're also about to get worse. And I want to know for you two, at the end of this season, as we sit here right now, how do you think we rank Man United, Liverpool? Real Madrid and Barcelona. And Sam, you have to start because this is actually your niche. So you have it's to not, go. It's not really my area, Dean. You um, rank everything, mate. You're the rank <laughs> god. You seem to forget that these days. Um, so hang on. In what way am I ranking it? Is it like, who looks the best? Who's had the best? Yeah, who's, who is on course, do you think, to have the best to worst season out of those four teams, bearing in mind what you think they'll end up with? Well, I think... There's one team out of the four that seem overwhelmingly likely to win a league title. And given the um, huh, the the lack of guarantees and the volatile nature of Champions League football, I don't think I can put Real Madrid top and say, yeah, because I think they're going to win the Champions League. I think that's anybody's game. Okay. Not anybody's game. It's not Scott Parker's game, but it could be anybody's Club game. Bru- Club Bruges aren't going to win it. I no. Guarantee. Um, this, is, this is recorded before the Club Bruges Benfica game. And I give you 100% certainty that Club Bruges are not going to win the Champions League. And we, we won't put an edit in if they don't. It'll just live there. Um, yeah, so I would put Barcelona top because I think they're going to win La Liga. And I think they've got the strongest the strongest chance at a major, major trophy there. Um, I can't put Real Madrid top because I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen, of course. It's, but Liverpool and Man United are going to be hard to split. You're right, they are. Despite the fact that one's just beaten the other seven nil, <laughs> which well, is a really despite the fact that say. before this weekend we would have said that Manchester United were having an excellent season and Liverpool were having, by their own standards, a relatively poor one. Yes. And yeah, the yeah, you're right. The vol the kind of volatility of the entire network of football it's is not right. It's up nuts. There. Yeah, like that. That like that's just been. Honestly, I just like my brain can't comprehend where we are at right now in terms of analysing these these top teams. Mm. I like Sam there is like saying, "Yep, yeah, Barcelona they win a the league title, they would be number one," and I get that. But Man United beat them, so like <laughs> over two games as well. So maybe they're better. So, so I think real- I think there is there is an element here where you look at a thirty eight game season generally as a best sort of harbinger of where a team is. Right, that 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 we use that as. A thing because we've seen, as Sam says, the Champions League can throw up some very, very random results. It doesn't mean that there's there's any less kind of joy around it, or there's any less truth in a team winning the Champions League. It doesn't it doesn't change the fact that they've won it, and it's still probably the biggest tournament on the planet in terms of club level. But I think that it's less of a 
good kind of marker of where teams are because you do get some random bits and bobs that just kind of happen. And cup competitions are very different to league competitions. I still think that league competitions are the best way of deciding who the best team are, which is why we've stuck with them for so long across domestic leagues, I would imagine. But you throw in the whole unpredictability of club competitions is what gives the game joy, right? So so I think that there's there's a kind of double here. I would be with Sam. I, I would say that I would have Barcelona top of this list. But I also think the other thing that we haven't even talked on yet, which is another one you could do a whole episode on this, is the fact of what were expectations before the league, be- the, the season began. Because by that standard, I would say Liverpool would currently be bottom of these rankings even after beating Manchester United 4-0, uh, 4-0 7-0. Because they would have expected to be in a title conversation and they're not. Yeah. And so the fact that they could be, by the end of next week, out of the Champions League and probably out of the running of winning a trophy this season means that you're you're looking at it and going, well, that's going to be a disappointment, even if they rally and finish third. I think that would be seen as an overall disappointment, but it would be a major win considering where they were in December. So it depends where you start your kind of... Where do you set the context? Yeah, exactly. By, by yeah. the context of August, it's a disaster. By the context of November, it's pretty damn good. <laughs> Lads, it feels good to pour all that out of my brain. I don't know if that ramble made complete sense. I hope people are still listening. Uh, bear with us for the rest of the episode. But I had to get that out there, and I hope people are able to make more sense of that than I could when I was keeping it inside my own brain. Right. Okay. Let's go less abstract, Sam, shall we? <laughs> what have you got for me? Well, I hated that. Uh, that was very confusing. Didn't like it at all. Don't appreciate you putting that on my plate, Dean Jones. Keep you did quite a good job, actually. Yourself. I liked the way that you you immediately set apart. Like that's why you're the rank god. You you immediately had a theory as to why someone would be number one. I I, I think you now you nailed it. Mm, thank you, thank you. Right, let's go to karma and simpler waters, shall we? The thing I love this week is Spain using the passport office to tool up for the next phase of their international team. And I always find this sort of thing really interesting, you know, switching international allegiance. It's a bit of a dicey subject in certain Mm. parts. And we have Mm. two potential cases here coming up simultaneously for Spain. So obviously they're entering a new era. Luis Enrique is gone. They need to take a look at some of the weaknesses they've had over the last couple of years. And while while Lucho kind of ignored some of the problems in the past, like, you know, centre-back and striker, he didn't really seem that bothered by that. The new man, De La Fuente, is clearly trying to step forward and, and, and try to make make sense of these and try to improve. So we've got a couple of players here who are looking at switching their allegiance to Spain. I spoke about the first one briefly on the Monday Post Box. It's Robin Lenormand, who plays for Real Sociedad, centre-back, bit of an iron man, 37 league starts last year, and I think he's 24 out of 24 this year. Like he's He's always fit, he's always available, and he's pretty good. And he is seemingly following the Imeric Laporte path of... Didier Deschamps has basically ignored me for too long. This centre-back depth for France is too strong. I'm going to move to Spain because that's where I play. I can get the passport. They're underway. The second player here, very interesting, is Chimi Avila, who is switching from Argentina to Spain. I'm going to read you some quotes from an interview he did with Sid Lowe not so long ago when Sid asked him about international football. And Avila said, I'm waiting to swear allegiance to the Spanish flag and become European. I would go mad to play for Argentina, but in Spain, my daughters have found happiness. The two places I know mean everything. Huesca, a mother's love. Osasuna, a father's love. That happiness is so hard to find. I came to Spain having had a bad time in Argentina, and I'm so grateful for the support that I found here. Now, I really liked this. It's a bit poetic for my taste. A bit yeah, more of a Jack Collins it. vibe. Yeah. Stay in your lane. But I liked it because the debate on switching international allegiance is, is a hot one. And it's also filled with terrible, terrible takes um, because it's a very, very personal experience and a personal decision. And I think a lot of people sort of stick their beaks in where they don't really belong far too often. It's a very intensely personal choice. But when you read comments like this, it kind of just reminds you that everybody's situation is different. And he is kind of laid out there as to why he feels very comfortable switching over to Spain. And I love that. I love adding I love adding sort of flavour to that debate. And I, I love the fact that a player can, can actually sort of sit there and tell you why he feels like he can switch his allegiance and he's, he's comfortable with that. Because not every case is the same. In fact, every single case is different. 
Me personally, if Ireland called me up, I'd say no, I don't feel Irish. Jimmy Avila has made a life in Spain. His daughters have found happiness and he's almost rehabilitated his own personal situation. And so he'd be more than happy to be honoured to represent that new country. That's nice. I like it. And I like the fact that he's come out and, and sort of set that stall out and told us about it. I think it's particularly relevant because people switch national allegiances all the time. And we're coming up to our first international break since the World Cup very, very soon. So we're not going to see these two in action that early, but it's about that time, isn't it? I would make a point that we might never see Jimmy Avila in action for Spain. He's Maybe. 29 and plays for Osasuna. <laughs> and I really like him as a player, but I'm not 100% sure that I would be picking him ahead of the glut of wonderful attacking options that Spain <laughs> have in there. But they don't have any strikers that, that they like. They, they yeah. hate all their strikers. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if Jimmy Avila is the answer, but, I'll, 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 you know, fair play to him nonetheless. And I'm with you. I think there's an element of it's incredibly personal. I just don't think there's... Uh, my, my stance on this has never hugely changed. I don't think you should pull on the shirt of a, of a country that you don't feel that you, you know, can can represent. That's, mm. as, that's as clear as it is, as far as I'm concerned. And, and so, therefore, to make that change, I think to make that change is, is a slightly different thing in these scenarios in that they never have done so in the first place right it's switching international allegiances when shirts have been pulled on that i find difficult to deal with uh, no no cases no nothing specific mentioned nothing specific nothing. jumps to mind but um have you yeah seen... i mean look robin the norman <laughs> the norman it would be a really really good addition to the spanish back line and i think that that is a very very sensible move for him yeah. and It'll be very interesting to see if we see him and Emric Laporte line up together because that would be quite the uh, quite the turnaround for the books. Oh, it's quite say. interesting. Also, have you seen um, Avila's neck tattoo? He's got a, an owl tattooed across his, the, the, the entirety of his neck. Huge Drake fan. It's pretty cool. So, you know, Spain picking up a really strong, solid centre-back and one of the best tattoos in football here. An owl. An uh, owl. owl. Okay, Mr. Wise. Okay, well, uh, we'll take it from there and move on very briefly. I want to talk very quickly about Fiorentina, who have had a major resurgence. Went into that game in the Conference League in the middle of February against Braga, and I was like, I'm really worried about Fiorentina. They are slip-sliding down the table. The second season, Vincenzo Italiano has not gone well. Uh, they went to Braga and won 4-0. And since then, they have started playing some really nice stuff again. Uh, they drew the Tuscan derby with Empoli, but they beat Braga at home in the second leg after going 2-0 down. They then went to Verona and won 3-0. And this weekend, they beat Milan 2-1. And they were very good value for it. And finally, it feels like Fiorentina have settled this side down into something that is working on a regular basis. And part of it is the fact that Sofiane Amrabat and Rolando Mandragora have built up a really nice kind of thing in the midfield where they don't look completely exposed every time that they go forward. The other spot is kind of rotating between Jack Bonaventura uh, and Antonin Barak, who plays an interesting kind of role considering he started some games this season on the wing and it didn't really work. But the front line has calmed down and I think this is maybe the key element of Fiorentina starting to score goals and win games again. Jonathan Ocone plays on the right-hand side. Artica Brawl tends to start through the middle. And Nico Gonzalez has finally come back. It's in really good form. Then you add that Lukijovic keeps coming off the bench and scoring goals at the moment. He starts in the Conference League and Cabral tends to start in the league. It's working. For the first time this season, it is working at Fiorentina. And you look at actually where they've got to. Look, they're, they're 12th in Serie A. They are only four points behind Juve in seventh. But I think it's going to be a big ask to try and return to Europe via their league position this season. The bad start has probably hurt them a little bit too much. That said, they're in the semi-final of the Coppa Italia and their semi-final draw is against Cremonese, who have been excellent in the cup and dreadful in the league. They've knocked out Roma, Roma killers. and Napoli. Um, so this is, there's no lie ask. But Fiorentina on paper should win that game and get to the Coppa Italia final. And they're in the last 16 of Europa Conference League. And you look at the teams left in the Conference League and 
the fact that Lazio and Azad Alkmaar have drawn each other, that game actually takes place tonight on a Champions League night because Roma also at home first leg on Thursday night. So that game's being played early. Oh, yeah. You look at the rest of the teams in here, Villarreal, who are back to some sort of form after having a four-game losing streak in, in La Liga. Nice have sort of turned up for the books a little bit. West Ham are better than they were, but got absolutely hammered at the weekend by Brighton. You look at the rest of them and you're thinking, Fiorentina will fancy themselves against most teams in this competition. If the draw is kind, there is no reason that they couldn't get deep, deep into this competition, semi-final, final kind of job. And with the idea of a Coppa Italia final and going deep into Europe in the Conference League, it feels like a good time for Fiorentina to have started to click. I think it might be a very, very interesting end to the season in Viola. So, yeah. Just want to keep an eye on and i'm enjoying fiorentina's mini resurgence over the last couple of weeks and long may it continue and with that i think we're going to put it on to our main segment where we'll be talking about the players that define their leagues after the break don't go anywhere Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our main segment. We're talking about players who define their leagues. We are really going to the abstract today, aren't we? We're right going to the finding random bits and bobs regarding the world of football. But maybe this is what you get on a Champions League week. Sam, over to you. Yeah, I feel like I need to start up like a, a, like an abstract art class and put flyers out for people to come and join me. It's third week in a row that I've really gone off piste mostly because of the Champions League. Uh, but this is fun. I, I thought this would be a fun exercise. And as I, as I completed it, I think I think I proved myself right. And I hope you guys agree. Basically, I wanted to try and pick a player for each of Europe's top five leagues that I, I think most resembles the league that they play in. And in doing so, I could say that X is the most Premier League player or Y is the most Bundesliga player. Just a fun exercise. But that process basically, first of all, means you need to try and define the essence of the specific league. So like, what is your impression of it? What do you take from it? And I think the beauty of this exercise is that everybody's impression, everybody, everything that you take, it should be slightly different from person to person because we all take in different things, even though we're watching the same thing. So you define the league, you define its essence, and then you pick a player that you embodies and symbolizes that essence that's what i've done that's what we're doing today okay all right well where are we starting and i think it well, might I be one that's first question in practice first question, and in principle first question is would you pay 60 dollars for a class because i'm happy to lead this class you know yeah. i'm really yeah. going into that i'm going to lead into this good web <laughs> webinars on abstract art i did uh, literally we... feel like i was watching a webinar then i thought i was <laughs> listening to a tutor we're going to start in germany uh so we're going to define the bundesliga first and we're going to try to so to me the Bundesliga is frenetic, it's relentless, it's chaotic, it is filled with goals and attacking intent, and it's a tiny bit reckless on the other end of things. I think of all of Europe's top five leagues, this is the one where it feels like you can most easily lurch from a 4-0 win to a 4-0 loss one week after the other. And I think that points to a nice competitiveness, but also a serious lack of consistency across the quality, the performances, the players, whatever it is. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to pick a player who epitomizes the attacking nature of the league, but also the inconsistent nature of the league. And I decided to pick a player from Bayer Leverkusen because I think they're mm. the club that epitomize these traits the best. I completely so it agree. Felt, so it felt right to pick a player from Bayer Leverkusen. So to me, the most Bundesliga player right now is Musa Diaby. And I'll add in the fact that in taking a Leverkusen player, there's a really nice symbolism to life in the Bundesliga in that it often promises so much as Diaby does. Only for Bayern Munich to come in and crush your dreams. And for Diaby, it does feel a bit like that sometimes. Promises so much, but every other weekend it doesn't quite happen. And that crushing your dreams feel, Leverkusen perhaps more than anybody else in the Bundesliga over, over the course of history, they know that very, very well, don't they? Yeah, I think... The Bundesliga might be the easiest league of these five to define mm, because it feels like it's had a very set kind of way for quite some time in a way that maybe I'm sure we'll get onto it. Serie A doesn't. It feels like that's been quite changeable in actually how it's mm. perceived and how it actually is. The Premier League too, for sure. Yeah, the Bundesliga's perception, I think, generally is relatively spot on. 
and that people understand the Bundesliga for what it is. If people watch the Bundesliga, it's absolutely heaps of fun. But there is this kind of element of madness to it. I I did think separately that there is an element of defensive liability that pervades the league. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that every defender in the Bundesliga is not a good defender. I'm not over- making overarching conclusions like that. But I think there is a sense of defensive recklessness that often pervades everything to do with the Bundesliga. And so I thought about this one. I thought it was the one that I, I could come to the table with a player because I, was, I wasn't I was quite sure how we were going to end up defining everything else, but I was pretty comfortable with where you're going to define the Bundesliga. And I think the player that most defines the Bundesliga is also a Leverkusen player, <laughs> but I think it's Jeremy Frimpong. <laughs> yeah, the most attacking wing-back in the world. <laughs> a man that often just negates his defensive duties to go flying into the opposition half. One of the most fun players to watch, I think, in Europe. Uh, he has great attacking output. Sometimes he does defensive stuff that surprises me. I'm like, oh, that was good. I haven't seen much of that. That was really good. And... But most of all, I just enjoy how transitional and how fun Jeremy Frimpong is as a player. And I think for me, that sums up the Bundesliga pretty nicely. Mm. Now, both of these players actually have been linked heavily with Premier League moves, lads. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> Diaby and, uh, well, Newcastle, Frimpong and Man United. Like, how does that weigh up? I'm yeah, not well. sure Jeremy Frimpong is the answer for Manchester United at Ryback. I love the man to death but I think he might have to be a wing back I'm not 100% sure I'd want to see Jeremy Fringpong as a as a flat right back it, um, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wary of what that could cause but I mean there'd be no doubt it would be fun it would be loads of fun yeah. I like the uh, I like where you've landed on that Jack I think you, we've, we've come to roughly the same conclusion I felt like I needed to pick an attacker to to epitomize the attacking nature of the league but you've you've kind of through the back door, picked a, like an outright attacker that just isn't an attacker, and I, I do like your I do like your way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the easiest one to define, and I imagine these are going to get harder and harder as we go on. Yeah, um, well, I started with the Bundesliga because I just was able to just define it so easily, and you're right, it was the easiest one. So now we move into into tougher territories, uh, and I'll move us to Italy, and I'll say that to me, Serie A is a league whose attacking quality is actually quite underrated, mostly because its defensive quality is vastly overstated nowadays. It used to be the home of defending, but it's been a few years since that was the case, potentially a few decades, really. Back in the 90s, it was obviously everything, but it does on occasion feel like the opposite now. But despite the shift in landscape over the decades, I think there's been a really quite consistent type of footballer that has been produced in Italy and thrives in Italy. And it is my old foe, the athletically uninspiring, technically limited, absolute bagsman. It's Pippo Inzaghi, it's Mauro Icardi, it's Andrea Bellotti, and of course, it's the most Serie A player right now, is Ciro Immobile. It's that breed of striker that I just associate with Italian football so strongly because it has pervaded Italian football for the last 25, 30 years. The whole time I've been watching football, no matter if it's an attacking league, a defensive league, a poor league, a strong league, that type of striker always exists and always succeeds. And I don't know how they do it. I swear, guys, this is the only league where this striker both exists en masse and succeeds en masse in the top five. But they're there. And Immobile really does represent that for me. Yeah, I mean, Dean, Serie A is an interesting one because its perception is so varied. And there is this kind of overwhelming narrative, especially, I think, in England, that it's a really defensively sound league. And therefore, there is this kind of thing that you're like, oh, we're bringing a a centre-back from Italy. That'll be fine. And I think that there has been, and, you know, we talk about a lot of things in, in Premier League terms. I think that's natural considering that, we are in the UK. But I think there is this element of I the idea that Italian strikers or strikers have come in from Serie A or attackers don't translate well to the Premier League, whereas centre-backs somehow do. And I think that that perception is finally starting to change. But where do you see Serie A? Well, the thing is, like Sam says, you do immediately think of defenders. You just do. like, And, and that is... It's something that's been built up through the years. But 
Sam's right. Like they do have a, t- a type of striker that just doesn't seem to maybe even thrive anywhere else. Like there are just strikers that are just built to work in this in this league and in these systems, and they all seem like it's kind of part of the DNA. Like you need to have a striker like this, or you can't be accepted in the league. It's <laughs> it's like it's like it's part and parcel of the game. And so I, I'm glad that Sam's actually gone here because I don't know. You think of like if I think of Italian football, I'm thinking like. Cannavar or Bonucci or whatever Mancini, Mancini or Maldini, sorry. Um, like these are the these are just I think of Italian footballs. I just immediately am thinking, or I'm thinking like AC Milan defenders. That's that's the way I'm thinking. But like these days, I don't really think of AC Milan defenders. I'm thinking a bit more of attack. And then yeah, I think obviously Sam doesn't like these types of striker. I love these type of strikers. Yeah, like so this is I. like what I want more of uh, in England. And we used to have loads of it. Like we used to have, um, you know, poachers. We used to have bagsmen. We used to have people like, you know, Andy Jermaine Cole Defoe. And Defoe and yeah, you know, yeah, Cole and Defoe and strikers like that were just made to just like score goals inside. The- I mean, to be fair, like they both had an ability to score from, um, Charles, they create themselves too, but ultimately they'd nick them. They would nick little bits and pieces in around the box. Doesn't really exist anymore. Doesn't really exist. I mean, the way Haaland started this season, he was doing it, but typically, you know, it's worn off because he like it doesn't work in this league. Um, <laughs> Haaland needs to go to Serie A, maybe, maybe. Well. <laughs> I I do enjoy the fact that you said right at the top, Sam, that it the the league is defensively un- overrated and offensively underrated. And for that reason, my mind immediately went to Denzel Dumfries because <laughs> I'm like, everyone keeps being like, yeah, we'll bring him and play him at right back. And I, I mean, I feel like I'm just picking right wing backs, but it, it was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, you don't want that guy at, at right back. He thinks he's a number nine. It's something we've talked about on the podcast loads, but he is incredibly effective in the final third. And I think that there's an element of being like that. People think that Denzel Dumfries is a good defender, and I don't think he is. But I also think that maybe his going forward ability is is hugely underrated, and therefore maybe he fits this category as much as anybody else. See, that's another I think Italian style of player that that has survived um, through the years. It's the it's the relatively upright, quite tall, powerful wing back with the big long stride. And we've definitely seen Italian clubs utilise those really, really well over multiple decades as wingbacks, purely as wingbacks, because it's the home of the back three, back five wingback system. And they still exist. And Dumfries, you know, is one of them. And, and you watch like, you know, you watch it Inter right now and they've got they've got like three of them. You know, they, they use Darmian in that kind of position. They've got Dumfries. You look across the league, you've got Hatterbor is a, like a six foot one big stride wingback um, that played for Atalanta. And yeah, there's there's quite a few. So I feel like that's a that's not a bad shout. Although I will request that you stop mentioning right wing backs from here. You are going to have to pick a different position. I don't think I will be talking about anymore. So I, I think that <laughs> the, the age you know, the age of the right wing back is over. The age of the technical centre midfielder has come. All right, <laughs> let's go on to the next topic. Okay, let's go to Spain. Now, this was difficult. Because to me, La Liga has long been a very technical league, probably the most technical in among the top five. But recently, last three to four years, the goals per game ratio has been really, really struggling in Spain. And very slyly, this has become a much more defensive league than we've become accustomed to and a much more combative one as well. It can get very gritty. There's a lot of cards in Spain. Now, whether that's to do with refereeing, shambles or not i don't know but it can get quite aggressive the cards do come out there's a fair number of reds and there's a number of teams that really do want to play and prioritize defensive football and we're talking about not just like the bottom feeders that you know the the four teams at the very bottom of the table we're talking about you know storied names like valencia and like play teams that have been in la liga for a long time like espanol like those are two teams for example right now that want to make sure that they don't concede goals first and foremost and it occurred to me while I was thinking about this that the reason we love, you know, Rio Vallecano and Girona and stories like that is because they their attacking football actually bucks the trend in Spain right now a little bit rather than epitomizes it. And I'm sort of having to come to terms with the fact that the Spain football in Spain has changed a little bit. And 
What I think the problem in La Liga is right now is that finding a good balance between attack and defence is proving very difficult for a lot of teams. Some are much too far one way and some are much too far the other. So I'll give you an example. Look at the number of one mil wins that Barcelona are totting up as Barcelona, supposed to be the most attacking team. And then also look at the amount of goals that Sevilla are conceding and you start to get the picture of a lack of balance. It's too far one way or too far the other. Any team that has been successful in Spain this season, and I genuinely think there are about four of them that can claim to be successful, has found a balance. And Real Sociedad have actually managed to do that. And I appreciate that. I think key to achieving that balance is having a midfield setup that can execute both sides of the strategy. So to me, the most La Liga player right now is Martin Zubimendi at Real Sociedad, who is a master at the base of midfield, super technical player, so fulfills the old stereotype of Spanish football, but can also provide the security and the defensive balance that needs to become or has become more of a focus in La Liga recently. And if you can find a player like that that can meld it together, turns out you can have a pretty successful season. So I'll go for Zubimendi. I think it's really interesting that you picked Real Sociedad player because I did the same. And that's the second time in <laughs> in three leagues that we've gone for a player from the same club. I was going to say the player that most, in my head at the very least, and this is different to I think the last two conversations because I don't think that maybe my I'm in complete agreement with you. I think you have a really good point, but I still immediately look to make the, mo- the most La Liga player a technical whiz mm. although i do think that the underscoring has potentially pervaded a part of a game i'd go Mikelo yazabel uh okay in terms of just i think that he is such a wonderful wonderful footballer i don't really know if he'd thrive anywhere else and i'm kind of just like at that point where i'm like maybe you should score more that that you know, he scores a lot of, he scored a, a fair, I think he scored 60 odd goals in 230 odd appearances for Real Sociedad in La Liga, which isn't bad for a winger, but also uh, he takes penalties. So I think that that stat is skewed somewhat and I would just like him to score more from open play. And yet I really enjoy watching him and his technical quality is through the roof. So that that's where I'm at. He's a player who I think people think maybe is faster than he is. He is who gets in behind more than he does. And I think maybe people think about this about La Liga. It's like, oh, it's it's a bit slow, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's a little bit slow. There's lots of really good stuff when they're on the ball, though. Like, yeah, there's just not that much dynamism about it. And I'm like, yeah, this is all Yaz about. Mm. <laughs> this, this is him in a nutshell. And so that's why I would have gone there. But I do appreciate your argument that La Liga has become more defensively sound than perhaps it once was. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think it would have been really easy to just pick Pedri here or Gavi or something like that. Like, you know, yeah. snappy, technical, very, very good, and obviously extremely famous. Yeah, very pick up loads of cards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Gavi picks up a. Well, actually, he doesn't pick up that many cards considering how many fouls he does. He's, he's got the Casemiro gene. Um, yeah. So it would have been easy to pick a player like that. Um, but I wanted to go a little bit, a little bit deeper, a little bit further down. And yeah, obviously, like anyone you pick from La Liga. Again, it's not for me to tell you what your impressions of this league should be, but surely it will be a technical player. But I wanted uh, to just represent the kind of nastier side of the game, the more solid side of the game that I think is like dominating my my viewing of La Liga recently. I mean, I do I do tend to watch teams like Espanol, so it yeah. is gonna it is gonna happen. But this is this I, is th- this is constant through the league at this point. Yeah, I think that that's the difference. Like, I would have said Gavi or Pedri, just because I think. A lot of people would just associate Barcelona and that style of tiki-taka that's been generated throughout all of our upbringings mm. as how you identify great Spanish football. And so you immediately look to Barcelona and to somebody that's got those kind of traits in a way to kind of keep that belief going. And I think that that will always be there, but that is more a Barcelona identity that you then have to open up mm. and most people won't watch like Osasuna versus Espanyol, whatever. Um, but that's right. You've had to take it deeper. And, and I think that that is the right thing to do there because it would be easy to definitely to pick one of those Barca lads. Um, but it probably isn't the right answer. So, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, look, Pedri Gavi, you know, perfect representations of of, of the, the absolute best Spanish football can be. 
Um, yeah. But not a perfect representation of what La Liga generally is, in my opinion. Unfortunately, the whole league isn't like that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Otherwise, it would be my main league. Unbelievable mm. stuff. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I assume you're going to take us to France next. I can take you to France. Anytime, anytime. Well, it, dep- it depends. I-, I wondered if that was maybe the <laughs> hardest one to define and therefore you would leave it for last, but we'll see. Do you know what? It was really tough. I am going to leave it for last. I'm going to I'm going to halt the train. We're not getting on the Eurostar. We're going to stay in England and uh, I'm going to go to the Premier League first. So to me, uh, this actually, this is really tough as well. <laughs> but to me, the Premier League, intoxicatingly fast and very physical incredibly hard to win games of football in isn't it like everything is a t- is an absolute fight and i'm convinced it's because there's so much quality in the league that it almost cancels each other out but as dean jones said to me on saturday night it might be because everybody's rubbish and i, I sort of can't work out if everyone's great or everyone's rubbish or if it's somewhere in between but again there's inconsistencies and it's difficult really to win any kind of game in this league it's it's a fight now because of the huge transfer spend that we've seen over the last couple of years, we have seen a lot of players here move from Champions League clubs to fighting relegation in England. And you look at it, Southampton, Everton, Leeds, West Ham, Leicester, Forest, and Wolves have all bought players this season who have recently played in the Champions League. And you can extend it to Bournemouth if you want to include Marcos Senesi, who played a Conference League final last year as well. So that's the pulling power. And this influx of talent from all these different sources has meant that, first of all, it's incredibly competitive. But second of all, if you tie in the managers as well, there is no overarching tactical style in the Premier League other than it's fast. Like, it's frenetic, it's fast. But it's incredibly tactically varied because the Premier League can bring in the very best managers. That manager will come in and will set the tone tactically. And then about six of the others will copy him because it is a bit like the NFL in that sense. It's a bit of a copycat league. So you get Pep Guardiola in and everyone goes, oh, that looks good. Let's, let's, let's try a bit of that. And then Klopp, mm. everyone tries a bit of Klopp. And when Conte came to Chelsea, everyone tried a back three for like three months. It's like, I remember looking at the formations once and like 12 of the 20 teams had used a back three off the back of Conte's success. It's so varied and mm. darts from one to the other to, to another in terms of tactical strands. So it's really, really hard to nail down like this league is like this because everybody feels different. But one thing does pervade. We've used that word a lot, but it's the right word. It's the rough and tumble and physical nature of a Premier League midfield battle. That will never go away. That is always the same. And so to me, the most Premier League player right now is Declan Rice. And the fact that he is arguably a Champions League standard player stuck in a relegation fight is actually very fitting for that comparison. I'd agree. (laughs) And I'd double down on one thing there in that he's overpriced. And that's become the (laughs) calling card of Premier League purchases for the last five years. If someone pays 120, 30 million for Declan Rice, I think they're paying too much. And that's not to discredit him and not to play down his ability at all. I just think it's too much. And I think that would be really fitting for the player (laughs) who most represents the Premier League because there have been some absolute mad transfer fees going around of late. Um, And I think that when when you kind of total all them up, Mm. It does kind of go, that is that has become one of the things that defines the Premier League. Just, <laughs> he has to have gone or be linked to a gigantic fee in order to represent this league officially. True. Yeah. Your absolute minimum price is 50 million now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's right. Like, um, you need, um, I'm going to call him an Englishman here, Jack. Uh, an Englishman, like, representing what the Premier League stands for because it is, like, that that still somehow remains at the heart of it. Like, despite the fact that no other of these leagues like has as many nationalities playing in it as the Premier League, it's if you get one English player that has an amazing season, then it will be completely focused around how well that player is doing. If one Premier League player... Using is overblown. Yeah, <laughs> if one player goes abroad and does well then everyone will go and watch him. Like, imagine if they did this in Spain and Italy, when and followed their players across the countries that they were playing in and like followed them closely. Like This doesn't happen like it does when a player has, has been brought up through the Premier League and then moves on elsewhere. And Declan Rice like, epitomises everything that, that you want in a, 
and the talent that's brought through in this division. And um, he's he's pretty down to earth, which goes against the celebrity of the Premier League. He's he's not um, he's not flashy or anything. He's a very very normal lad. Um, but he's also like worked extremely hard. He had setbacks to get to where he is today. Obviously released from Chelsea uh, in his teens and had to like fight his way back to get a chance at West Ham. And it's just like fought and fought and fought. And now he's like the captain that's worth somewhere between 50 and 100 million pounds, like wherever we end up in the summer, wherever he ends up joining. But you're right, he is going to go for a lot of money in the summer and will then play Champions League football. He's not just a rough and tumble midfielder, though. He's got a technicality to him, mm. too. And he's there's that constant thing, too, in the Premier League to be something that you're not. So Declan Rice was brilliant at what he did as like a holding midfielder. Fantastic. He's like, I don't want to be this. I want to be up and down. It's I want to be on set boring, pieces. I want, to, I want to take corners. <laughs> I want to take that. And it's the same all the, all the way through. If you look at however you've had a good midfielder throughout the Premier League, go back to like Beckham's and Gerrard's and Skulls and Lampard. And you could go even further back, I'm sure. But they were always striving to do something they couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, <laughs> and you're right. And that, and that is, and Declan Rice is kind of trying to do the same thing. He, he wants to be Patrick Vieira, I've seen him talk about, and Yaya Torre. Yaya Torre is, I think, the one that he always says, I want to be like Yaya Torre. I want to be up and down, box to box, but I want to drive. I want to make those impacts too in the box when it matters. <laughs> it's like, mate, you don't have to do all these things. You're great at what you've been doing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you're right. Premier League heritage, though. Uh, just yeah. just taking a really good player and just going, yeah, but what if you were this? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Have you ever thought about being a centre midfielder? You're like, <laughs> no, I'm a right back. Um, please don't play me there. I, I don't want to play there. I have no interest in it. Okay, fine. Um, right. So that leaves us with League R, officially, I believe, called the League of Talents. Sam, what have you got? Well, it's actually the League of Young Talents, if you ask me. I think the Bundesliga has got a good shout for this title, but Liga, I really rolled this around in my head and tried to find a common strand. And I feel like Liga is the place to be. If you are a teenager looking to make your step into senior football, and if you're someone that likes to watch the next generation come through, they are so willing to turn to the academy and they are so willing to trust their young players. Now, obviously, financially, sometimes their hand is a bit forced, but it is a league that you know that if you're watching, you're watching a lot of the next generation come through. And that's that's quite fun. That's quite fun. What I tried to do there was make it less boring and say, oh, it's the League of Young Talents. I tried to think, like, okay, is there a particular position here that I really closely associate with France and with Ligue 1 and players coming through? And I realised, actually, that I did. I think there is a dominant position, and I think it's wingers. This league pumps out wingers for fun. It is like an absolute endless stream of exports for these fast and skillful wingers. It's kind of mad. I had this hunch, so I went away and looked at the transfer records for the last... You know, four or five years, and the following players have come through in Liga and been flipped or been brought in and then sold. Alan San Maximan, Lucas Acampos, Nabil Fekir, Rafa Liao, Nicola Pepe, Usman Dembele, Rafinha, Loriente, Corne, Icone, and then obviously most recently, Dango Watara and Kamaldine Suleimana. All in like four years. <laughs> It's mad. <laughs> it's absolutely mad. Yeah. And so when picking my player, I thought I need to I need to follow suit. I need to I need to take the next one off the conveyor belt. And I dabbled with Jeremy Doku, but in the end I landed on Ryan Shirky as the most league art player right now. I think he's this exact type of player, fast, skillful, winger. He's at the extreme end of those traits because he is really fast, really skillful and really promising. But he's extremely league R too. Yeah, I think this is it's a good shout. And I, I think that there's the element of inconsistency that you'd have to throw into that league with the way that Shaggy's come through and the way mm. that he's sort of been denied opportunities at times for reasons that we can only speculate on. Um, but it, it is a league that brings through young talents. And I also think there's an element of league R. I think, which is a wonderful credit to it in that players can emerge from nowhere and it doesn't have to be at one of the big sides for them to to come through and suddenly start to make an impact and for their name to start being thrown around quite, quite loosely amongst the big clubs of Europe. And I would have maybe gone Enzo Lefay mm. at Lorient, who I think 
had a really, really good season, obviously, when they when they came up from Ligue, Ligue 2, which was, I think, two years back. It could have been two and a half now. Um, and has sort of settled really nicely in Liga. He's still only 23, and he's kind of the heartbeat. And a lot of this Lorient side are being picked apart. We've seen, obviously, Watara go. We've seen Moffi go. Lafay is still there, but I don't think he will be next year. And I just think his kind of rise from nowhere to an, a place where there's a fair amount of clubs with his name on their lips. I think it's relatively typical of Liga. So he was where I would have gone. But I, I think that Ryan Shirky is is a wonderful shout as well. The only thing with Shirky that I think is maybe not that typical is I think he might stay in Liga for a while. Yeah, I was just lo- I was just looking at this while you were just talking then to see like what the links. I mean, PSG like did look at, at trying to get him. Um, they try and make a bid on the final day of the window, like something yeah. really odd. Yeah, yeah Leon were not happy about it, and they talked about it how insulting it was and stuff. Uh, for people who don't know, by the way, he's nineteen, uh, Cherky. Um, and yeah, when he was sixteen, Man United um, were linked with him. I'm, I was just trying to look up whether there were any other big links outside of that. So it says Man United and Real Madrid both tried and failed to sign him when he was sixteen. Um, now he's obviously getting his his breakthrough uh, properly at Leon. I mean. How long do you reckon? What do you reckon, Sam? There, because he is linked with PSG. Jack says he, he gets a hunch he he might stick around in Liga for a while. You just told us that typically they just churn him out and sell him for for a bucket load of money. Um, <laughs> they do, yeah, they do. Um, well, the best thing Lauren Blanc has ever done in his entire life is bring Ryan Shirky into the the first team fold at Lyon consistently which he has done in the last three to four months and just let him fly because no one else had ever just let him fly. It was always in and out, in and out. There were some, I think, wider the mark reports of some attitude issues. I don't think there's any substance in that at all. He's been a bit of an enigma, actually, for the last couple of years. That's, that's part the of the thing as well, by the way, a bit of an attitude problem. And I've never heard of, an, of a French player um, who, who's doing well. He wasn't described at some point as having an attitude problem, whether they have or not. Yeah, yeah. it's probably just lazy stuff. Um, that, yeah. that, is, that is literally the epitome of lazy journalism, isn't it? Pure xenophobia, just being disguised as people write down. It like, happens mm-hmm. every time. Every time. Every yeah, time. Every time. But he's, look, he's, he's in and he's going. And the, the thing is, the, the PSG link was, was, was not shocking because... It's like a mismatch of talent and potential versus potential landing spot. That 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 absolutely ticks all the boxes. It was shocking because he's only been a first team footballer consistently for about two months. Like this is all very new. Him being given a, a consistent starting role and he's only really just starting to spread his wings properly. So that's why it felt so premature and so strange. But I mean, if he carries on at the rate he's going at the moment, we have talked about him on the spotlight a little bit and he has looked really, really good at times. And yeah, he might not be long for Leon, who do like do who do like a sale. Whether or not he suits PSG, I don't know. We've got some pretty good attackers <laughs> already. Might be better off going elsewhere. I don't know. But yeah, if you're Shirky right now, you're just enjoying the fact that you're in the team. Finally. Yeah. You're finally <laughs> the guy. And he's having so much fun and he's a joy to watch. So if you haven't seen any of Ryan Shirky at Leon, would highly recommend. It's very, very enjoyable. And with that. I think it's probably time to call to an end our main segment. I enjoyed that, Sam. That Again, fun, yeah. A little bit more in the abstract today, but well done. That was well-defined and some some good players, I think, called out there to, to represent their league. So a good main ranking, my friend. Yeah, I'd be very interested to hear what everybody else has to say. You know, all the listeners, what are your impressions of each league when you catch it, when you see it? What do you take from it? How do you define it? And then if you can, as a bonus... You know, is there a player that summarises it for you? Because as I said, we all take different things from what we watch. All three of us watch the same game and we all take different things from it. It's the same with any walk of life and it's the same with any league. So tell me what you think of each league. Be balanced and tell me who you think summarises it and and symbolises it the most. I'm very interested in people's thoughts. Yeah, drop them in the comments or on our Twitter, you know, where you can find us over at Rank Squad. Right after the break, we're going to have Melon of the Week, Shout Out of the Week and the Gibberish Rankings. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's our third and final segment. And as ever at this point, the floor is yours, Mr. Dean Jones. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Juventus forward Moyes Keen. Hmm. Oh dear. I didn't think anyone would manage to take this award away from Man United this week. But boy, did he. 
Keane was sent off 40 seconds after coming on as substitute as Juventus lost to Roma on Sunday. It was in the final minute of the game. Um, and he was shown a red card for literally kicking Gianluca Mancini. Um, now, Mancini had scored the only goal of the game. Um, but honestly, when I say just kicked him, he literally just like turned around and kicked him across the legs for no apparent reason. Um, none that's come out, at least, anyway. Like, I, can't, I, I just can't believe. Like, I, I just laughed when I saw it. Uh, Sam had dropped a note in our WhatsApp saying, because um, we were assuming Man United would get Man of the Week, and it sounds like at the far post, what is Keane? Um, and I was like, I wonder what he's done anyway. So I was just watching the highlights of the, the Roma Juve game without really knowing what was going to happen. Um, and there it was absolutely senseless stuff. His brother, Giovanni, though, has come out to his defense. Um, now, his quotes are that, because obviously, like, Moise Keane's been absolutely battered from pillar to post on social media for this. His brother said, unfortunately, Italian football is this. They only know how to judge. And then you wonder why there aren't many Italian players. You massacre them every game. You don't know shit about football and you open your mouth for no reason. Give yourself a wake up call. I mean, we don't, unless you're going to explain why. Why? Yeah. Why? I mean, why? tell us, tell us Mancini why. Mancini holds the him reason. down on the floor for a couple of seconds. That's the only thing that I can see, you know, obviously, you know, if words were said or whatever, we don't know. But it yeah. only seems to be that Mancini holds him on the floor for a few seconds and he just loses his head. It's mad. I mean, his time back at Juve isn't going a lot. Uh, Juve isn't going well anyway. Obviously, he's technically out on loan from Everton, but I think there's an obligation here to actually sign him this summer. I don't think they can actually get out of that. Um, the way they'll get out of it is to sell him immediately as soon as the deal is is done. They're, they're going to have to get rid of I don't think he's going to have much of a future at Juve anyway. Um, well, he might have to, if, depending on how their financial situation is going. Well, yeah, he might be the main be striker, that's true, yeah. by next season, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, a bit of a bad great. one for him, a bit of a rough See, one. Well, I looked this up and I found out that he is the third fastest sending off in Serie A history. Uh, second in this list is an Atalanta defender by the name of Giulio Miglaccio, who he basically got sent off after 32 seconds after coming on against his former club, Palermo. That was in 2015. The actual fastest one, though, is far, far older a record. It's from December 1990, uh, where Bologna striker Giuseppe Lorenzo came onto the pitch in the derby against Parma and got sent off after 10 seconds, which is genuinely, genuinely unbelievably impressive. What do you just walk up and punch someone and walk back <laughs> off or something? How, do you, how is that even possible? I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's one of those, maybe it's like a throw-on. He's run onto the pitch, the ball's gone back to the and he's just like two-footed someone in the knee. I'd have to look up the actual incident, but 10 seconds is genuinely unbelievably impressive. It's like, you know what you're doing in that regard. You've had to try to do that, surely. <laughs> That's what you're getting at at that point. But yeah, so yeah. Moise Keane is now third in that list. So it's uh, one for him. Right, let's leave the melons behind and go to some positivity, shall we, DJ? Yeah, it's time for shout out of the week. Uh, please do get your ratings and reviews in on wherever you're listening to this podcast. We do appreciate every single one of them. They're drying up a little bit, people. So come on. Help us out. Help out the rank squad. Um, this week's shout out of the week goes to Zapdos5. Don't think it's his real name, but it's a cool one. It's a Pokemon. It's like a Pokemon, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Last week, a couple of weeks ago, there was someone, um, was it after a Harry Potter character or something? Um, I can't remember. It was, it was some name I read out. It's all the same person. Um, it's Dean Jones's burners. Yeah, and, and my friend was like, "Do you Dean know that, know that wasn't a real Pokemon or Harry yeah, Potter like, to do that?" It's like, did you know that that wasn't a real person? Because he's read it out like it was his real name. I was like, "Mate, I don't know. I just read what I, I just read what they put their name as. I don't care what people are writing in there, as long as it's not insulting. Then I'll read it out." Um, anyway, Zapdos Five, I presume it is his real name now. Um, he says, "Melons, narratives, and gibberish all in one place. Five stars. Ranks FC." as a dinner starter jack's poems a light magical way to start your wednesdays and beyond settling for a glass of things we love a feel-good moment within football from across the world mains buckle up it's the steak dinner and step into a world of controversy with sam's ranking 
Does everyone like their steak cooked the same way? No. Will everyone agree with Sam? Definitely not. <laughs> Dessert. Do you prefer the savoury melon of the week, where Dean makes fun of someone, usually Darwin Nunez, for a moment of questionable judgment, or do you want the sweet, gibberish rankings of things you didn't know needed to be ranked? Cheers, guys. Love the pod. Zapdos 5. Love it. Zapdos 5. Unreal. Unreal. Right, let's get to that sweet, shall we? I hope it's not a question this time, Sam. I hope you've actually you've done a gibberish this week. I've done a gibberish, yeah. Just thought I'd say I'm looking forward to next week's review from Moltres 6 and Articuno 7. <laughs> uh, please step forward, fellow Touché. legendary birds. But uh, yeah, no, I have, it is actually my gibberish this week. It's the three most shocking things from Jack's birthday party, Ooh. which we went to on Saturday. Lots of fun, wasn't it? Lots of fun. Very yep. At number three... Walk in, look to the right. There's a crisp stand. That was interesting. I've never seen this before. There was no food on offer at the venue. Jack informed me when I asked. But there is a crisp stand, he exclaimed and pointed to, well, a board, a cardboard board with a load of packets of crisps of different varieties pegged to it. This is actually genius, but it did shock me. Your idea of catering for 100 plus people was to put a bunch of crisps on the table and say, tuck in, lads. No, my idea of catering for 100 plus people was not to give them any food whatsoever. (laughs) My godmother turned up with maybe about 600 packets of crisps and she designed a little board that they lived on. And you know what? They went down an absolute tree. So Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, Jack, Sam and his wife were people at the front of the queue. He's saying he's shocked here. He was loving every minute of it. I can tell you that. What crisps? Because there was a real selection on offer. Yeah, there was loads. I mean, I was trying to eat something that wasn't too smelly. Um, Because, you know, obviously that can be a bit of a bad vibe. Um, So I really, really wanted to tuck into some flaming Hot Monster Munch. But I I didn't do that. Um, I went kind of down the middle. Um, Salt and vinegar, chip sticks. uh, They went down a treat. Um, Some skips. They were okay. Not too offensive. Um, yeah, no, there's some good stuff. Oh, bacon frazzles. No, I did actually, did I did actually, frazzles, I yeah. did, I did betray my philosophy at one point by taking bacon frazzles. I mean, you can't. You can't. That's a kind of pub staple. I think you're okay yeah. with that. That's yeah. fine. No 100%. problem at all. So I'm Excellent. not, I'm not criticizing. I'm, it was shocking because I've never seen it before, but I did like it. Yeah, went down well. Went down well. Yeah, it was okay, cool. wasn't too. Number two, uh, the bar ran out of Guinness. Yeah, this is the worst thing ever. Oh my god, this is an a- actual crisis. Although drinking the bar out of Guinness on my birthday is on brand. Very it was about on nine brand. o'clock. Yeah. Even, <laughs> even more on brand. <laughs> it was about nine o'clock. Uh, it happened. Was we, were, <laughs> we were all shocked. We were all disappointed. Um, you, I know for a fact, Jack, that you had um, notified the bar in advance to basically stock up on the ingredients for baby Guinness. Yeah. Did you not tell them to stock up on Guinness kegs? But I kind of thought that that was going to be part of the course. If I'm yeah, perfectly honest, it is a bar. Yeah, yeah. Also, you know, who asked for baby Guinnesses and isn't expecting people to drink Guinness at the same time? I do think there was actually quite a lot of Guinness. There was just everybody was drinking it, and that that is the potential issue here. Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Um, I walked up to the bar at some point, probably about nine o'clock. It was quite early. Asked for a Guinness. There was a cup over the tap. They said, "There's no more left." I freaked out, had a panic attack, shouted to Jack from across the bar. Very loud music, lots of people talking, probably about 20 people in between us. And I shouted at him, they've run out of Guinness with my hands on my head. And he said, I know, mate, I know. There's nothing we can do. Well, he mouthed that at me from across the bar. So that was really rough. And look, the number one shock here was that his speech was really short and concise. (laughs) We're not not shocked at all. We're not shocked that he did a speech. We're just no. shocked that it took less than 10 hours. He stood up in front of everybody, thanked them for coming, said he's surprised he's reached this age, never thought he'd get there, said something else, can't remember what it was, and then said, off you go, enjoy yourself. Well, he ended on a quote by a poet a or something. from Yeats, so that was good. Yeah, uh, again, very on. Very I did forget to do my final... I thanked myself, that was good. That was thanked yourself, yeah. That was, yeah I myself. <laughs> uh, the first person I want to thank is me. Again, and, not um, surprising. No, but I, I did forget to do my final thing, which I was going to be like, oh, run back on, grab the mic and go, oh, and there is one more thing. 
it's been emotional uh, and I forgot to do that which was which is a real shame actually but that's uh, here we are it's because I'd when had, you finish the I speech, drank all the Guinness yeah <laughs> you finished the speech and we all applauded you off you were lapping it up you probably just were thinking of nothing else but uh mm. yeah probably about a 40 second speech in the end Daniel and I was yeah. stood there absolutely stunned well, well we know. were like why can't you do this on the pod <laughs> you've just self-edited for the first time in your life yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a strange one. Who knows? You know, sometimes sometimes we come out with surprises that shock us all. I was surprised how short it was. I just was like, I think I want to dance, and yep. so I therefore was I like, thought you Let's just got shy. Dance floor. I don't think I've ever been shy. I don't think <laughs> that that would be the shock to end all shocks. Uh, and the bombshell on which we're going to end this podcast. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you to all of you for listening, for tuning in, for all your ratings and reviews. If you haven't had a chance to go over and have a look at the free trial over on our Patreon, the link is in the description. We hope you enjoyed that little bump episode where we gave you a taster of the post box on Monday. We will be back later in the week to do our Champions League review. So there's that to look forward to. And of course, there will be a spotlight over on that Patreon on Friday. Looking forward to the weekend and rounding up the Europa League as well. Thank you so much to Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much to our rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Thank you, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Name of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Bye.